The Start On Demand. On demand. The city of Winnipeg has lost a court battle over impact fees and has been ordered to repay millions of dollars. We'll get reaction from the Manitoba Home Builders Association. Historic spending, the legacy of the $343 billion deficit. I got a call from somebody last week saying he got a call from me and accused me of being a scammer. I said it wasn't me, man. I didn't make the call. So someone's using my number to try to scam people. And what are some of the things that you liked as a kid, but now hate as an adult, or vice versa? What's some of the stuff that you hated as a kid, but now love as an adult? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling, who's on vacation, back next week, and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, July 9th podcast for The Start. Gary and McNabb, Mackling is back next week, and I got to start the show by saying I, I I almost feel like celebrating this particular fact, Loren, that yesterday was the fir- for the first time in I don't remember how long I did not fall asleep at any point during the day on my couch. Hmm. Which, in in particular, actually made it to bed at a decent time. I didn't wake up at eleven o'clock or twelve o'clock on my couch. So that's good, but I think it actually had a weird side effect because today, like, do you ever have one of those days where you just feel like you're not firing on all cylinders? Like you're just discombobulated and you can't focus on anything? They call that Tuesday in my world. (laughs) Yeah, I just, I can't, like everything, I just feel sort of off like too much sleep you had too much good sleep is that possible well maybe i mean i did now i to be fair i think maybe i didn't fall asleep on my couch a because i've i fell asleep on it (laughs) (laughs) well then we'll get there (laughs) well i fell asleep at the dealership while i was waiting for them to change my oil i just fell asleep in their their socially distanced lounge they've got the the all of the chairs sort of taped off or like a little yellow tape around each chair and i was right in the middle of the room, and I passed out hard. Uh, But yes, I watched a movie last night on Netflix. Jeff Braun and I both got access to this uh, screener of a movie out tomorrow called The Old Guard, starring Charlize Theron. So I needed to make sure I made it through the movie so I could review it on the couch potatoes when we record it today. So I sat on the floor in front of my couch. (laughs) So I guess maybe that's also why I didn't fall asleep. There's the trick, though. Stay away from that couch. Well, and I've heard that actually sitting on the floor, even in terms of like if you're going to sit anywhere, uh, that is a good way to, it can actually help you kind of burn calories almost because you're constantly fidgeting and moving around because it's not all that comfortable. So you're repositioning yourself always rather than just plunking down on the couch and sort of burying yourself into it. And someone somewhere has made a lot of money studying that. Like that, that's funny that that's a, of all the things that have been studied, someone has studied the calorie expenditures of sitting on the floor versus the couch. (laughs) Yeah. So, of course, we're going to talk today about impact fees, growth fees, and the debt. But uh, we also want to talk about scams. And this has to do with something that I experienced recently. 
and I, I gave you the snapshot of this, Loren, but uh, uh, as it turns out, I typed it out yesterday, so that's actually really handy because now I can just read this out for the most part. But here's the deal. Last Tuesday afternoon, I got a phone call from uh, a, a 204-770 phone number, and I usually don't answer 770 numbers because I, I've found that they're often you know, scams or spam or whatever, just garbage, uh, which is funny because I have... A 770 number. Um, so the guy, I hung up. Guy calls back immediately. So I declined again. Called back right away a third time. I finally answer. He says, who's this? Who am I? Who are you? It's Rory. I just got a call from this number. Uh, no, no, sir, you did not. I, can, I did not call you. Yeah, you did. You're a scammer. I don't like you. I'm just standing in my kitchen and I say, well, buddy, I didn't call you and I don't like you either. And then I hung up on him. He proceeded to call me back 21 times over the next 10 minutes trying to get me to answer. And I just kept declining. Um, And then so he finally stopped calling. He never left me any voicemails, which I found weird. Uh, then yesterday while I'm driving, or on, uh, I guess this was Tuesday, I'm driving out to golf and he calls again. So I just swipe it away, calls again. I swipe it away and he calls again. So finally I answer the phone out of frustration and he says he got a call from, and I forgot, I should have said, is this Rory? Um, so, cause he sounded a little bit different, but I don't know. He says he got a call from my phone number. From an officer Hernandez with a CRA looking for his social insurance number. I assured him I didn't call him and that my phone number, I guess, is somehow being used for scams or it's been cloned or whatever. He says, well, you sound like the guy who called. And I say, well, I don't know. Uh, If he had a deep voice, I have a deep voice. Doesn't mean that I was the guy. I said, I don't know what to tell you. And then he starts antagonizing me. So I basically told him off and I hung up. And then he called me again and again and again. And I finally answered again. And he says, oh, uh, hey, uh, we got cut off. I don't know what happened. I said, well, you didn't get cut off. I hung up on you. Look, if I wanted your sin and you're calling me back, I would ask for it, wouldn't I? And he says, oh, would you now? So now I'm paranoid that he was scamming me, trying to provoke me into saying certain things. So I called Bell later in the day to report it, to at least report that it's possible my number is being used by a scammer, because I know it's not uncommon. Our colleague down the hall at Power 97, Joe Aiello, I once heard him say that he once got a phone call on his cell from Joe Aiello. So, Come on. Yeah. So we're going to talk about this at 707 with the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre because we hear about new scams almost every other day, right? There was that scam a few weeks back where people were getting phone calls from the Winnipeg police, the non-emergency line, I think, right? Yeah, it's becoming increasingly common. I was in touch with the RCMP yesterday. They say that kind of scam is going around with people able to spoof your number. So it might look like it's coming in from police, might look like it's coming from the RCMP, but it's it, they've somehow figured out how to steal your number, so to speak, to convince you that they're real. We've also got COVID-related frauds. So there was actually like scams going around that were really specific to this pandemic that caught thousands of Canadians uh, in a financial trap. And the numbers are growing so we're going to speak with the fraud agency after anti-fraud agency after seven i'm curious how we stop this that's become you know as soon as police figure one thing out the fraudsters 
have a new trick up their sleeve. And so it's sort of like this cat and mouse game where you go back and forth. But it's really frustrating for you, for people like you, Brett, for people who just don't want the phone calls. And then there's people who, who fall for it. And you can see why when it becomes so real. And so what do we do is the big question for me. Because you can't keep answering your phone and telling off the same person 19 times a day. Yeah. And it's getting to the point where I don't even want to answer my phone anymore. Like this is this. It's I know I use it primarily as a computer, but it's called a phone. And if I'm scared to answer the phone or I don't want to ever answer the phone, uh, that's annoying. And it's got to be annoying, too, for people who actually are doing legitimate work, who are calling you to follow up on something or they're, you know, if your bank is calling to offer you some new product or whatever it is, uh, if everybody if no one's answering the phone phone anymore. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling is back next week. Saw on Twitter yesterday somebody asking the question, what did you like as in a kid? What did you like when you were a kid, but you now hate as an adult? And I sat there trying to think of something that I liked as a kid, but now don't like. And I really struggled uh, beyond like maybe old movies or TV shows. And I thought, but what are some things that I hated as a kid and now like as an adult? So that's what we're talking about right now. What did you like as a kid, now hate as an adult, or vice versa? We're getting all kinds of great text messages at 204-780-6868. But let's go around the horn here because Jeff Forte is here, Kelly Moore is here, and Jeff Braun is here. Jeff Forte, why don't we start with you, pal? I mean, I'm, I'm going to go with the movies. Uh, there's so many kids' movies, or not even kids' movies, movies that I really liked as a kid. For example, like Batman and Robin. I used to love that as a kid. Now yeah. now I watch it, and I'm like, the heck is this crap? It just, <laughs> I, I just, I lost so much interest. Well, how old would you have uh, been uh, when that came out? Oh, I was probably just like six or seven, but even watching it, you know, as a kid being like 10, 11, 12, like, I thought it was great. Just, just like, oh, like, god-awful movie is like the cat in the hat. I used to find it very entertaining. Now I watch it, and I just, I cannot stand it. Okay. Just... I never did see that, by the way, because it looked like garbage. It is. Okay. Don't watch it. Jeff Braun, what about you? Christmas. No, just kidding. Um, for me, it's pancakes, really. I loved pancakes when I was a kid. I would eat them as often as I possibly could. I'd try, like, a few times a week, I'd just, like, nag my parents until they made me pancakes. And then somewhere around age seven or eight, I just hit a wall and I didn't eat another pancake until last year. And now I'm sort of back on them, but I, I had, like, a good 30-year dry spell for sure. Pancakes, all right. By the way, Jeff Braun, of course, working from home. It sounds like he's a little bit further away than usual. Uh, are, are you plugged into your mic or are you on the speaker there, Jeff? No, I've got the same thing going I always do. Okay, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on there. Uh, but uh, Kelly Moore, how about you? Yeah, we did have some technical issues last night, so they may have carried over. Uh, I, I'm just kind of curious, uh, Brett, uh, when Jeff was eating his pancakes, did he at least put some butter and syrup on them or did he just eat them dry like he usually does but that's for another conversation but uh i'm gonna kind of flip the script here a little bit something i absolutely hated as a kid was asparagus and i absolutely love it now as an adult especially fried up or barbecued uh, fried in a little in the pan and a little balsamic or just uh, uh marinated in balsamic and then barbecued mm. three being 
Yeah, and you know what, Kelly? I think I'm with you there, too. Asper- I probably just hated asparagus on principle because it was a green vegetable. Uh, but <laughs> but asparagus is, when it's done well, uh, like one of my buddies is a chef, and he made some asparagus dish, and it is so good. I could just eat, like, a, just give me a bucket of asparagus, and uh, that would be fun. And, yes, I know people are going to make the com- the joke of what happens when you go number one after you eat asparagus, <laughs> but whatever. It's worth it. It's green eggs and ham, baby. <laughs> Loren McNabb, what about you? Well, on things that I loved as a kid and hate now, I'm going to have to go with anything that spins, merry-go-rounds, swings, all those kinds of things. I used to love them as a kid. I can barely watch them spin now, let alone go on anything in the playground or a ride. I hate it. Oh, that's I think it's age and vertigo. I, I think the older you get, the harder you have spinning i think there's some sort of science to that but i i cannot sometimes even a swing now i'll go on a swing with my kids and think oh i'm gonna throw up i really hate this so that's the opposite way i loved it as a kid hate it now and then of course um sleep hated it as a kid hated going to bed early hated getting up late and now god wouldn't you give anything just to be able to crawl into bed at 7 p.m and have no one no one judge you oh for sure at noon Nick actually saying, too, that he hated the early bedtime when he was a kid, but loves it now. And uh, this one from Big John, I like this. It's not not from when he was a kid, but he says, uh, used to drink Budweiser in my early 20s. Now just the smell of it makes me gag. Nothing but good beer now. I drink uh, from microbreweries, so he likes his local craft beer, or Stella. So good for you, Big John. I approve of that. And uh, Kyle says, naps. I love them now. Here's another one per- person. Uh, you said eggs, Loren. I hated soft eggs like sunny side up. Now I love them. And uh, this one might be my favorite uh, text that's come in so far. <laughs> I like my siblings. I liked my siblings as a kid. Now I hate them. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, Sandy says click and head cheese. Does that mean you like, hated them as a kid and now like them? And do you eat those together? Like, uh, would, would you eat that as like a mash or in a sandwich? I don't know. So keep those texts coming at 204-780-6868. The things that you liked as a kid and now hate as an adult or vice versa. Clint says, I loved riding my bike when I was a kid, but now that just reeks of effort. <laughs> <laughs> so the car it is. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling is back next week, getting lots of texts at 204-780-6868 on the stuff that you hated as a kid, but liked as now like as an adult. Deborah says, creamed corn. Hated it as a kid, still hated as an adult, but I never <laughs> ate broccoli when I was a kid, but I love it now. So there you go. I, there's You know what? There's one that I hated as a kid, but love it now. I love broccoli. I can actually say I love broccoli. It's good for you, to quote Newman. On Seinfeld, so keep those texts coming at 204-780-6868. At 7.37, it is our small town salute, and we've got Santa Lucia pizza to give away at 9.36. But we want to continue the conversation on phone scams. If you missed the story off the top, got a phone call last week from a guy who says that I had called him. He accused me of being a scammer. I said it wasn't me, and I hung up. 
and he then proceeded to angrily call me back 21 times. Don't know what he was trying to accomplish with that. And then he called me again this past Tuesday saying that he got a call from my number from an officer Hernandez from the CRA asking for his social insurance number. I said it wasn't me, and I've since called Bell to report that it appears my phone number is being used uh, to call for scams. Well, either that guy is trying to scam you, or yes, Brett, your number is being used uh, to try to scam other people. And they call it spoofing the number, and it's one of many tricks that fraudsters or scammers or whatever we want to call them are using. Canadians are being hit by these kinds of scams really hard. There's tens of thousands of victims every year, and losses actually hit $100 million last year. $104 million, I believe, is the number. So the impact is huge. And Robert Rushfort is an intelligence researcher and profiler with the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre, and he joins us now to discuss maybe what we can do to fight back. Good morning, Robert. Morning, guys. Let's start with this idea of uh, Brett talking about how his number has either been stolen or used or, or what's going on there. Explain to us what's happening when numbers are being uh, shared like that or used by the scammers. So as you kind of mentioned prior, uh, we are calling it spoofing. And most of the time, the reason for that is the scammers aren't actually stealing your number. They are using techniques, usually through computers, through VoIP uh technology, so voice over internet protocol, to place a phone call through a computer. By doing this, they can actually place whatever number they actually want on a call display. Now, the reason they want to try and do this is, of course, to make the number appear to be local. And the reason, of course, they want to have it to be a local number is people will actually pick up the phone instead of a a block number or unknown number. Most people are a little bit more weary of that. So by making it look like it's somebody who's actually in their area, there's a higher percentage that they might actually pick up the phone in order to actually get the call. So what do I do then? If this, I mean, this is happening to me, what should I do? In that situation, as you kind of mentioned to that person, you are not the actual scammer. Um, You can always advise them, okay, well, I'm aware that my number is being used. And if you think that you're being targeted, you can also advise those people, please contact the police, uh, Canadian Navy Fraud Centre, The best idea is, of course, to try and report these calls. Without people reporting the calls to police and, as I said, to our centre, we're unaware of how severe the actual calls are in that area. Um, There's also other things with reporting that sometimes there's information that these scammers might provide to people that could also help within an investigation. So advising people, please, at the end of the day, report it as much as possible and that way, of course, it also looks like you're telling people, if, do you think I'm the scammer? Report it to police. I'm not the one involved. So hopefully it should help at the end of the day. It's making it hard in this day and age. And, and this, this spoofing isn't new and scams aren't new. But increasingly what's happening, I think, Robert, is our trust level drops. We become really cynical of taking anyone seriously. And, and on the flip side, when they use numbers like pretending to be RCMP or pretend, well, I know that's a current scan going on, pretending to be your hydro rep or whatever, it's hard to know what to do, and you you want to believe those people. And I understand during COVID, when people are at their lowest, potentially looking for jobs or work or emergency benefits, there's a new round of scans going on with more hundred more than six hundred victims over the past few months. Tell us about some of those COVID specific scams. The COVID scams started to originate in Canada around March. Uh, at the beginning of it, of course, there was a very large phishing scam that was being sent out to everybody across the country. Now these 
tried to imitate, and they were emails and text messages that were claiming to be from the government asking if you'd like to apply, asking for personal information. Now, the first warning in regards to that is government financial institutions will never send an email or text message asking for personal information. So we always advise people at the end of the day to actually stop for two seconds to actually think about what they're looking at. And if they think anything is odd whatsoever, to talk to people, to actually reach out to friends, family, police, anybody to actually ask questions in regards to it. Now, after the phishing scams, of course, people who have lost their information, we've now had a huge wave of identity fraud. Now, this was people who are actually applying for CERB, or the uh, Canadian Emergency Benefit uh, Response, or sorry, in which they were changing people's bank accounts on the CRA to actually receive the funds. So, as you can see, one scam then evolved to the other. We are also seeing a large hit of employment scams as people, of course, are suffering through all the issues in regards to the economy and businesses having to be closed for the moment. Scammers are then going to try and do other aspects online, claiming to offer jobs. Usually in regards to the employment one, they'll say, well, we'll offer you a position to receive funds or to work for us, and your job is to receive these funds, process them, and then to return funds somewhere else. Now, there are two sides to this actual scam. One is which the payment the actual victim receives is completely a counterfeit, um, once it's placed into your account, it is actually capable of sometimes fooling the bank for a period of time. And while you're asked to return the funds, it looks like it's cleared. So you think everything is good until everything finally comes back to the bank. Unfortunately, the person who's put the funds in that account is held responsible. So the victim ends up losing all the money at the end. Or we also have money mules, people who unfortunately unwittingly join these job scams are sent a payment, but that payment is actually sent from a prior victim. So technically at the end of the day, it is actually money laundering and the victim unknowingly is actually involved in the scam and can actually get in trouble legally from police in that situation. So that's another one. And finally, I'm going to touch because this is one that's really kind of going rampant right now is the phone call that everybody is receiving in regards to your social insurance number has been used illegally. Uh, there are a variety of them. One is in which they say that the police are going to show up at your door and arrest you unless you actually take the time to confirm your information. Now, in that situation, as I've mentioned prior, the police will not actually show up to arrest you. Take the time, take two seconds. If something was really wrong, you should be able to actually validate this information to make sure that something is happening. Robert, just before we let you go here, and we only have about 30 seconds, uh, it sounded, I, I was actually paranoid that I was being scammed. Is it possible, because it sounded like he was trying to provoke me and prompt me to, to say specific things, can they do anything with just my voice? Like, can they somehow scam me with, with just based on what I say? There has been something that we've seen in the past in which they record people on the phone saying yes. I'm not 100% sure where that has led to to date, but we have seen different varieties. So we always, of course, assure people at the end of the day, if you think anything is wrong, contact our agency, contact police. 
we will take the time to walk you through to assure at the end of the day that you are protected. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling, back next week. And we were talking about the things that we liked as a kid, now hate as an adult, or vice versa. And Heather just ran a gauntlet here. She says, <laughs> as a kid, I hated steak, eggs, fruit, salad, veggies, cheese, chicken, Chinese food, rice, pan-fried potatoes, and uh, pan-fried peroxides? That's got to be something different. <laughs> uh, that, what, what does that leave? What did she eat? Yeah, what did you What did you eat, Heather? Just now, cereal? Now she likes all these things now, or she still hate all those things? She says, now I love them all, but I still can't stand pickles. <gasps> Is it uh, halup cheese? Am I, I saying no that correct? Idea. And I think it's halup cheese. Pardon me if I'm getting that wrong. And uh, head cheese. Still can't stand head cheese. So that's a couple of votes for can't stand head cheese. Pickles? I, I love pickles. Yeah, those uh, big crunchy dill pickles. Oh, I yeah. mean, I hate, I also though, I, I do hate, and it just reminds me of uh, socials or after church events or something. I don't like being tricked by the sweet pickle. Oh. Nothing makes, it's so frustrating when you put that in a sandwich and you bite in, you're like, no, that's not salty or garlicky. That's sweet. Go away, sweet pickle. Thank God I'm not the only one on that on that boat because I can't stand those pickles either. And you're right, it, you, you think it's a dill pickle and then you go, ugh, this is crap. And then I like this just because of, of this listener's name. Charles the Garlic Guy says, I hated blood sausage and still hate it. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling back next week. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Start. A Manitoba judge has called Winnipeg's impact fees... An invalid, indirect tax, and as part of a decision handed down yesterday, he is ordering the city pay back more than $30 million in fees charged to home builders and homeowners. Charging builders who were putting up homes on the fringes of the city an extra $500 per square foot back in 2017. And in theory, the goal of that fee, as it was argued at council months ahead of that, was to help pay for extra costs of bringing services to those outlying developments, maybe things like water or sewer lines or even transit, Brett. But as soon as the fees were approved by council, the Home Builders Association and the Urban Development Institute launched a legal challenge. So... For the past three years, any money collected through those fees was put into a reserve pending the results of that court challenge. And we now know the results. Lanny McInnes is the current president of the Manitoba Home Builders Association and joins us now. Good morning, Lanny. Good morning. I know when uh, we talked to your colleague yesterday afternoon on the news with Richard and Julie, uh, he was still digesting and reading the lengthy decision, as were many of home builders in the city. Now that you've had a chance to work your way through it, what are your thoughts this morning about how this tax was declared essentially invalid? Well, there's there's still plenty to digest, and we're still in that process. Um, the decision itself was over 100 pages long and, and fairly detailed, so... There's there's quite a bit that we still are, are weeding through in terms of uh, Judge Justice Edmonds' uh, decision, um, but generally um, we we were hoping that the decision would provide clarity to all parties in terms of um, this issue, and and we believe it has. So <clears throat> that's really an important step to understanding what's going to be ahead of us in terms of working with the City of Winnipeg to forge plans to to put processes together that will allow us to grow us a, a sustainable and strong city. 
Now, it's not clear if the city is going to appeal this decision. We are still waiting for an official response from City Hall. If they don't appeal, any idea how it will work to recoup those fees? I mean, some $32 million collected over the past three years. At this point, we're, we're still waiting for, for clarification on um, how that will happen. Um, and it's really a question that only the City of Winnipeg can answer at this point. So we, we just wait for, for their response. Lanny, this was debated for months, and I, I can remember doing countless stories uh, when I worked for Global TV uh, back in 2016 in the lead-up to that vote, all sorts of debate at City Hall between councillors who were for or against it and trying to figure out a way to best uh, get some money back from developers when it comes to urban sprawl. No matter what, regardless of the decision, urban sprawl is still an issue. We still have developments going up to the perimeter and beyond, and that does cost the city money. So we heard from Mike Moore yesterday, the past president of the Home Builders, saying it's not really about being against the impact fees. It's about being against the way that they were levied against home builders. So what do you say to that? Because do we still need to have, are you still okay with some sort of charge here? Or are you against the fee in general? Our our industry... Um, believes that there needs to be rigorous cost-sharing and and that those mechanisms have to be based on solid planning and hard evidence. And and that, I I think, was the impetus for the challenge was that it was felt that those things were missing. And so we're we're ready to work with the city um, today in terms of creating uh, a plan forward, uh, a plan for that, that sustainable growth, but a plan that's based on on solid planning principles, hard evidence, data, and uh, and will take us to uh, a place where uh, our city is is both strong and competitive. And so we're you know uh, along with our counterparts at the Urban Development Institute, who are part of this uh, this application, where we remain committed to working closely um, with the city, with the province, uh, to ensure that uh, Winnipeg grows in a responsible and a progressive way. You say rigorous cost sharing. How are costs shared right now? Well, prior to uh, to this, there there were uh, through the uh, development agreement parameters that developers enter into with the uh, city of Winnipeg when they uh, when they apply to uh, to have a uh, development or a subdivision approved by the city. Those uh, costs, in terms of the infrastructure that goes into those developments, the uh, uh, the roads, the pipes, uh, all those are paid for by the uh, the developer, um, and, it, and uh, so those uh, all those costs, as well as some supplementary costs, are, are incorporated into uh, the development agreements. And uh, we're, like I said, we're ready to to work with the city to to look at uh, uh, other cost sharing mechanisms if uh, if those uh, are needed to. Uh, or, or to tweak the current ones to to look at uh, how best to serve uh, um, both the new developments and uh, the subsequent uh, um, infrastructure that's needed to to serve them. Yeah, you might pay for the cost on that land where the home goes up, but then the city still has to bring the line out to that area, the water line out to that area, the sewer line out to that area, and then of course things like transit and all the rest, uh, Lanny. So there are additional costs that are incurred by the city, which is why those who were for this fee were were arguing for it. Those who were against worried that it might end up costing the city tax dollars because people would choose to move outside the perimeter. Did that actually happen? Did we see uh, influx of people saying, nope, I don't want to pay this fee and therefore I'm not building in Winnipeg. I'm going to go to places like LaSalle or Oak Bluff or Oak Bank. We did see um, 
the surrounding communities grow at a little faster pace um, for a, for a, for a portion of the time uh, since 2017 when this was implemented. Um, but like like we said, uh, Lauren, it, it's there needs to be planning around uh, our growth both in the city and regionally, and that's why we've been supportive of uh, uh, of the province in terms of their. Um, uh, their move to to look at more of a regional focus when it comes to to planning, so that you have, um, you know, you you are following the pipe in terms of uh, where you're going to grow, rather than um, growing and then having the pipe come to you. And and so uh, we support that that uh, that principle in terms of let's base this all on a very strong data driven um, plan for for growing the the capital region. Uh, not just the city of Winnipeg, and so um, you know we, we've we've always uh, stated that, and, and we'll continue to to be ready to work with uh, both levels of government to make sure that that happens. Lanny McKinnis is the president of the Manitoba Home Builders Association, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Lanny, thank you for the time; much appreciated, sir. Okay, thank you. There are so many unknowns. With this pandemic, lingering questions over the virus itself, and then, of course, questions about its impact on the economy and jobs. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about that this morning, Brett, with the news out of Ottawa that the deficit this year will hit $343 billion. But, of course, that money had to be spent, uh, as far as many are concerned, to help prop up the economy and, and keep people working or at least keep money in their pocket in some form. And so there's all sorts of questions about how just confident people are feeling about the economy and their own bottom line right now and when we talk about confidence housing sales and housing prices they can often say a lot about how consumers are feeling and so that's why we're taking a deeper dive into the new numbers released today on the housing market in Winnipeg you've been hearing a lot about it in the news with Jeff Braun it appears Winnipeg's real estate market is actually doing okay in fact June sales are higher this year than they were in June of last year Michael Fraze is the managing partner with Royal LePage Prime Real Estate and joins us now. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for hopping on. I have to say, when when I was we were working our way through this over the past few months, I kept thinking, who is buying a house right now, and <laughs> and how are those struggling to sell them right now? I thought it would be a challenge, but it sounds like June was pretty good news. Yeah, I mean, June was fantastic. I look at the last three months here and, you know, since the pandemic, and I think it's it's fair to say for everyone, the last three months has felt like a year, uh, if not longer. And so the real estate market has kind of seen a year's worth of activity, a year's worth of cyclical activity in three months as well. So even just looking at the beginning of when the pandemic hit and, you know, the lockdown in April occurred, um, there was a dramatic drop for sure. It was, um, we saw activity um, plummet to where it was, uh, sales were down 54%, our inventory was down 67%, um, and there was a bit of a standstill, right, at that time. No one knew what was happening in the world, right? Are we all going to die? What's <laughs> what's going on? Is Mike going to have a job? Oh, there's a lot of market uncertainty. And as we kind of pulled out, and as Manitoba and Winnipeg really did well with the pandemic, we started to see the consumer confidence come back through May. And now into June, what we saw was really the pent-up demand um, that everyone kind of went on the sidelines and, uh, and kind of watched things go. And then as um, people got more confidence with uh, the shape of the economy and with the virus, uh, you know, we saw June explode, or we had uh, yeah 24.15% increase in sales in June. So um, we kind of looked at this as a U-shaped recovery, and we saw that we saw the full U <laughs> in three months. 
And in terms of pricing, I'm curious because I know that uh, I know a couple of people try to buy homes in the month of June, and one person I think asked they 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 threw down an offer that was fifty over asking and did not get the house. So what was the average yeah. price? Yeah. So. Well, that's interesting. Is um, just under thirty percent of all homes right now are seeing multiple offers, which is a very high rate. Um, it's the highest rate we've seen in the last twelve months. Um, and so, the average price right now. I mean, looking at a residential detached home, um, and I always look at it versus Winnipeg proper versus the out, out uh, outlying communities. And Winnipeg proper in at the end of June, um, it was three forty three three seventeen, which was up roughly half a percent, uh, just in Winnipeg proper and up a little bit over a percent in the rural communities. So um, that's actually one of the interesting stories in this as well, is we've actually seen the rural communities outside of Winnipeg uh, outperform the city in a lot of areas. But it's been, um, again, through this global pandemic where the prices are stable. Uh, So in a time of real global uncertainty, Winnipeg has kind of been that bedrock of stability. It's so interesting to hear this because we've been talking about, you know, bedrock of even just the cases. Our cases are relatively low here. And then we're talking about our economy and, and the work being done to hopefully help it rebound. And these housing prices are really interesting to me, particularly what you just said there, Michael, about growth outside the city. What's driving that demand for the growth rurally? Well, I mean, it could be a number of things. Um, one of them, I think, is um, for certain the there is more affordability in the rural communities. Um, statistically speaking, you know, the average uh, residential detached home in the rural communities about three hundred, just over three hundred four thousand, as compared to three forty three in Winnipeg. So you have a, a you have some savings there. But I think just the um, uh, being able to work from home right now is becoming increasingly easier. Employers are, are you know. Um, allowing people to work from home so that that commute into the city isn't as um, isn't as threatening isn't as much of a deal breaker anymore um, and so you can get a bit more value out outside the city uh, you can still you know work from home in a lot of cases and what we've actually seen as well is just cottage country um, I, I think it's really people haven't been able to travel right we can't go anywhere we can't go to Mexico we can't go to our, our you know our 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 snowbirds can't go. You know, it's not snowing right now, but I don't know if they're going to be able to go in winter. So we see people, instead of investing abroad, people are investing in their homes, whether that's renovations or adding, um, you know, hot tubs and pools. Uh, what we're seeing is actually investing into our province as well, into cottage country. So places like Lactabani and Gimli are up almost. Uh, Lactabani's up. Uh, they have triple the amount of sales that they did last year already in, um, for year to date. And Gimli's uh, about 50%, and the East Beaches are about 50% as well. So a lot more activity out there. Uh, those homes or cottages, then we're talking. Yeah, in that regard as well. So, um, in outlying communities, you know, um, looking at you know Saint Anne Steinbach is, is growing a lot. So people are just, um, I think they're investing in Manitoba right now as opposed to abroad. And I'm just looking as well at this uh, release from Winnipeg Realtors that cites a probe research poll from early June that showed overwhelmingly 84 percent of Manitobans said the pandemic had no bearing on their home buying intentions. Does that surprise you? Uh, you know, a little bit, but but also not. I, I just have learned Winnipeg seems to buck the trends. Um, when, you know, we are a... Um, we're very diverse. We're not, we're not tied into, um, you know, one... 
um, one sector of the economy, like as opposed to some of our neighbors, I love them, you know, out, out west in Saskatchewan, Alberta, but they're super affected by oil, right? And and we just seem to have a bit more resiliency when it comes to um, of these things. Even our market activity, I said, was down, you know, fifty five percent or so uh, at the at the trough. But in Toronto, Vancouver, they were down eighty, ninety percent. So we just seem to really weather the storms a lot better than most places. So that's what's not surprising is just seeing the resiliency in Winnipeg and in Manitoba. Um, and uh, right now, there are a lot of positive forces that are pushing uh, demand up, right? It is super, it's still Winnipeg, it's still very affordable uh, compared to uh, many of our neighbors across the country, and interest rates are at all-time um, pretty much historic lows right now, so uh, access to capital is quite um, lucrative. Michael Fraze, Managing Partner with Royal LePage, Prime Real Estate, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Michael, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated, sir. Thank you for having me again. Question of the day at cjob.com, brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. City of Winnipeg has lost a court battle over impact fees charged to home builders and homeowners. Should the city appeal the decision, yes or no? We have just, honestly, I just hit publish right as we came to air and you can also cast your vote on twitter on that at 680 cjob and we are getting a ton of feedback this morning loren on that at 204-780-6868 well because we've been talking about growth fees and impact fees since 2016 uh, the debate raged all through the summer of that year and then the vote in the fall to approve some sort of fee on new developments on the fringes of the city was uh, given council go ahead in the fall of 2016 they started charging it in 2017 but that $32 million that's been collected in impact fees since then has just been sitting in a, in a reserve, just sitting in an account pending this court decision. And as you just said, Brett, this judge yesterday ruled that this fee is an invalid indirect tax and has ordered the city to pay back more than $30 million in fees to the home builders. And we're still waiting to see what the city is going to do with that decision. We've asked the city for a response. We've asked the mayor for a response. We've asked some councillors who voted for this uh, impact fee to come on and no one so far is speaking to us. So it's not clear if the city is going to appeal the decision, but lots of people weighing on this because as far as they're concerned, you know, you appeal this decision, more legal fees have to be spent to, to appeal it. And so there's costs associated there. And then there's bigger questions about just how our city is being run. And so from listener, and actually I should ask you this, Brett, uh, he, he's in our system as ALS. Is he ALS? Do we call him ALS? I think we call him ALS. Yep. Okay, so this is from listener Al's. He writes, it's more than just impact fees. There are a lot of other issues that need to be addressed. It's easy to spend or bet with other people's money with no accountability, out-of-pocket expenses of one's own, while others will pay for these mistakes. And it's not just for things like the water treatment plan, ex-lawyers paying out-of-court settlements for wrongful dismissals, Parker lands, police station, police pensions, stadium, impact fees... Also things like the inspector fiasco at the planning, property development, city operations, procedures, and policies. So there's a whole laundry list of things there that Al's listed about what's concerned him in terms of how the city is run. He has this suggestion. He says the city needs public input for improvement. A public-involved checklist with the help of an outside third party needs to be developed for sound conduct and judgment on reasonable steps that need to be taken to meet legal requirements to help reduce costly future errors or omissions. Because when we have battles like this, we all end up paying. 
that yeah. that money that's been sitting in that reserve it hasn't gone anywhere it hasn't been spent on anything but you can bet the a lot has been spent on lawyers fees Brett yeah Scott texting for example that loss of 30 million dollars means our city taxes overall will go up by 30 million dollars someone pays and it is the taxpayers and we referenced this earlier but in case you're just tuning in a uh, person who contributes frequently to this radio station Brent Bellamy he's an architect and he is uh, he comments frequently on urban issues he tweeted yesterday Wow, let's saddle the next generation with the cost of building sprawl and not the people who decide to live there today. And someone commenting on that particular tweet, Steve saying, great, I love paying taxes so the suburbs can continue to sprawl while they gut services in existing neighborhoods. And indeed, if the money... If the city can't uh, get the money from those impact fees, they're going to have to get it from somewhere else. But uh, also a lot of people pointing out that impact fees, they are fairly common in other cities, are they not? Yeah, Calgary has an impact fee of sorts. They've had one there for years, for sure. Other cities in the States have used them. So it's not it's not as though Winnipeg just pulled this out of their hat and said, look, boom, we're going to start charging this. Thought and discussions and debate did go into this several years ago. And we just had the Home Builders Association on at 745. And they talked about the idea that they what they what what we need to work towards is a better cost-sharing model. What that is... I I don't know. Developers will say that they pay for a lot of things in these developments, like the immediate water and sewer lines and, and roads and sidewalks, maybe even fountains. But someone has to pay for the roads to get out to those areas, Brett. Someone has to pay for the fire halls that go up in them. Transit becomes a big issue. We put up these new developments. And I know for years in Bridgewater, people in Bridgewater were, were upset because the transit never made its way out there. And if it did, it was just one bus and, and it didn't come very often. And because the farther you go, the more money has to be spent to bring these services there. So something needs to be done. If it's not about a fee, then we need to take a harder look at what developments we approve in the first place, because if we can't afford to have them, then why are we allowing them to go up? So again, cast your vote at cjob.com for the question of the day or on Twitter at 680CJOB. Another thing we've been talking about this morning is the stuff that you liked as a kid and now hate as an adult or vice versa, because I actually struggled to think of anything that I liked as a kid and hated as an adult. I mean, I might watch an old TV show that I liked as a kid or an old movie and think, well, that really sucks now. But I don't don't think I actually hate stuff. But um, we had uh, one person use the word roughage in a text, and I wanted to revisit that. Navy saying, I hated cilantro as a kid. The last five years, I devour that roughage like salad. Like a like cilantro, oh. like a salad. That seems intense. No, that's more of you just kind of it's a, an accoutrement. You add it, but it is it takes over the flavor of everything. So it, it's a pretty powerful herb. I actually think it's one of those ones that is super polarizing too. You either love it or you hate it. Your first bite goes, oh, oh God, no cilantro, or you you adore it. You know what? I think I actually fall in the middle of that. Because I don't, uh, I I like it, but I I wouldn't be sad if it wasn't there. Uh, that could also be because, guess where I was exposed to cilantro, Loren? You know where I was exposed to cilantro. Oh, can't not Taco Bell. Taco really? Bell, yes, Come on. it was in the pico de gallo sauce. It was. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh. It seems almost no offense because I I the family enjoys its uh, tacos, but I surprised that cilantro worked its way into a Taco Bell. Yeah, it was one of the ingredients. And then this is interesting too. Didn't like the color green as a kid, 
But I do now, and the way they describe this, I think, is just, it's poetic. The color of freshness and new foliage. And I can't agree with you more as I sit on my 16th floor balcony overlooking uh, the west side of Osborne Village and just see that green blanket uh, over everything. It's such a relaxing sight. Uh, but that's that's an interesting thing to, to actually, like, hate a color. Yeah. I, I, and, I, I, and to see it. I guess it's actually, if I want to, I hate the color chartreuse. Chartreuse. Look it up. I just hate that name. Yeah, it's weird. Chartreuse just sounds pretentious. I don't get it. Okay, I'm looking up chartreuse right now. It's like a child blended all the colors together as they were painting, you know, because they're trying to just make new things and the worst possible combination ended up as chartreuse. Yeah, it's almost like a a radioactive kind of barf green. (laughs) That's sort of what I what I figure. Like if you if you like fell into uh, or like there was a nuclear plant situation or whatever, and then you you walked out and you were like the toxic Avenger and got sick. That's what would come out. Uh, you're right. That's not a pleasant color. Um, I don't know that I hate it though. Actually, I, I'm, I guess when I was a kid, there were probably colors I hated. I probably hated pink just because I was a boy and I thought that that's what I needed to be. But I really like the color pink now, especially like when you see a bold pink. I'd like to get a, like a bold, bright, bold pink golf shirt and stick out on the golf course. And I like how increasingly and hopefully eventually this is not even a thing anymore. Increasingly, there is no gender assigned to the color. It's becoming more popular to not assume Pink means girl and blue means boy and all the rest. So hopefully in a few more years' time, chartreuse will be <laughs> the new pink. Yeah, no, that's like, that, I get, that's why I say because that's what it was when you were a kid, right? Everything everything boy was blue and everything girl was pink, and that's just how it was, uh, whether you liked blue or pink or not. And you can continue to text us at that same number on the things that you... Hated as a kid and now love as an adult or vice versa. Eve, for example, says, I hated tomatoes and Dr. Pepper as a kid. Quite the contrast. But now I love them both. Oh, that's interesting that you'd like Dr. Dr. Pepper seems to me like such a kid's drink. Yeah, that's interesting. How the, it's funny how the taste buds change, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like stuff that you hated as a kid, and then you suddenly grow up and you go, okay, yeah. Like I referenced apple pie earlier, just despised it as a child. But uh, somebody actually, I can't remember where it came from, but we there was apple pie uh, in studio that it, the, the apples had been harvested just from people's yards, and uh, someone baked it, and they did an interview on uh, uh, Richard's show, I believe. And um, wow, it was good. So keep those coming at 204-780-6868. But we start this half hour with the financial forecast unseen in generations and it comes with a warning of permanent change to Canada's economy. The federal government is projecting a deficit of more than 340 billion dollars. Yeah and we've been saying for the last uh, 24 hours really Brett it's such a huge number and it's hard to put that in perspective and so that's why we asked our next guest to help us do some math on what that number would mean to the average Canadian. For example if I spent or my home spent how Ottawa has spent this year, what would my deficit and then, of course, my debt look like? Rob Warren is from Manitoba, but now teaches marketing at the University of North Dakota and joins us now. Good morning, Rob. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good. And I'm, and I'm, well, I'm good to talk to you. I'm perplexed by this deficit because, on one hand, we know money had to be spent to prop up the economy. And on the other, when you hear that number, you have to think, Who's going to be paying for this in years to come? And so we're going to get more into that in a moment. But I'd like you to dumb it down for me, as I always say. 
uh, do the math for me. If I, if I were to spend the way Ottawa has spent this year, the way the federal government has spent, what would my deficit look like? Well, your deficit uh, just on this particular deficit they're projecting is uh, $9,000. So congratulations. You're, you're now $9,000 more in debt. And that's essentially doubled from what it was last year. So, you know, you've really been outspending your income by about two to one. Deficits and debt load are always a concern, right? But on the flip side, there are few economists who will disagree with this kind of spending because the alternative would mean life would be so much harder for Canadians. Well, it was a great time to take on the deficit and the debt in this case because, one, you've got really cheap money. But two, I agree with all the other economists. The downside of not having done this is people would have been unemployed, which would have meant people were losing, well, people are unemployed, but people would have been losing their homes. People would have been using food banks even more than we're seeing. We would have seen suicide rates and a whole slew of other problems crop up that would cost the economy as well. So, in the end, this was probably the cheapest solution and the cheapest alternative to what could have happened. doesn't sound cheap when you hear the money, but I know what you're saying. When you put it into perspective, the losses would have been so much greater. And there's all sorts of questions about our future, Rob, and where we go and, and what the future of this pandemic will look like and then potential further hits to the economy. So does the money train have to keep rolling, so to speak? Or when do we decide it's time to hit sp- stop and start taking a hard look at at the cash that's going out there? Well, I'll tell you, until they come up with either a vaccine or a cure, this is going to be a problem because what you've got now is people are reluctant to go into stores, restaurants, all the places that drive the economy on a consumer side, but those particular sites also drive it on a business-to-business side because if they're not busy, they're not buying products from other businesses. So until we can get people back in and buying again and return to whatever normal is going to look like, then we're going to have to put more money into it in order to keep what the part of the economy growing that is growing. And that's a pretty small part right now. What's the legacy here? Like, how long are we going to be paying for this? Are our kids and our kids' kids going to be paying for this? Well, so right now what they're predicting is by the end of this fiscal year, the total Canadian deficit, which is the accumulated uh, shortfalls, is going to be $1.2 trillion. Now, that's worrisome in two respects. One is, I think it's going to be your great, 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 great grandkids are going to be paying for this. But two, we're now getting dangerously close to another number, which is the gross domestic product. And the closer you get your accumulated deficit to the gross domestic product, the bigger the risk you are, because now your economy, even if you put every dollar into the deficit, couldn't cover it. And that's a huge problem. I think at uh, $1.2 trillion, it's a 70% debt load. You couldn't go to any bank and get a loan if you were carrying 70% debt. And that means that the credit rating is going to get downgraded, which means we're going to pay higher interest rates. Now, right now, that doesn't mean anything. But over time, interest rates will go up again. So it's going to be expensive, and it's going to take a long time to pay off. 
Well, we knew it was bad, and we knew that number was going to be bad, Rob, Rob, and we had all sorts of warnings leading up to yesterday when they released the fact that the deficit was to hit $343 billion this year. Another really jaw-dropping number that came out here in Manitoba is the fact that some 250,000 Manitobans access those emergency benefit at some point within the last three months. And, and many of those people might be back at work now, but that is a staggering number to consider. And we often talk about Manitoba sort of having that slow and steady growth when it comes to an economy. Is there a plus side here in that now that we might be able to weather the storm better than others, at least here locally? Well, in the past, Manitoba has always been able to weather the storm better than anybody else because of that balanced economy. This time, though, you've had a real, I'm going to call it a trifecta of issues come up. One is, two of the, one of the big industries in Manitoba is transportation, whether you're talking Standard Arrow or New Flyer. Well, both of those are going to take hits as their their customers don't have the dollars right now to spend with them uh, on the on the standard side if you're not flying an airplane you don't need to have that engine overhauled and that's a that's going to be a bit of a drop drop for them on new flyer side cities are having to spend massive dollars on other areas including related to coronavirus and that means they don't have money for transportation the other thing that happened was the provincial government came along and started through their austerity programs, uh, talking to the crowns and also the civil service about cutting jobs. And that meant that people were out in those areas as well. And we've also seen that happen in the private sector. So there's your trifecta. You've got an economy that's really hitting a couple of key industries. Ag would be another one that's hitting You've got the the government cutting jobs, and you also have the private sector cutting jobs all at a time when you have this pandemic. Rob Warren from Manitoba, but now teaches marketing at the University of North Dakota, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Rob, thank you very much for the time. Much appreciated. You're very welcome. McGarry and McNabb, I want to get to a couple more of your texts at 204-780-6868 and the things that you liked as a kid, now hate as an adult, or vice versa. But first, just a quick check on the question of the day at cjob.com. And that question is, the city of Winnipeg has lost a court battle over impact fees charged to home builders and homeowners. Should the city appeal the decision? And so far, 70% say no, 30% say yes. And just pulling up the results on Twitter, because we, th- we usually throw the poll up on Twitter as well, at the very least. Sometimes we get it out on Instagram and Facebook as well. Uh, but on Twitter, it's, a, it's close to the same result. 36% say yes, 64% say no. Of course, you can cast your vote at cjob.com or on Twitter at 680cjob and leave a comment as well, whether it's on Twitter or on text at 204-780-6868. The question of the day brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Wanted to bounce this one off you from Sandy here, Loren. Uh, Sandy says, I liked yellow mustard as a kid and hate it now so first mustard yay or nay Mm, i don't like regular mustard i love hot mustard really so just Mm -hmm. plain old yellow mustard no but hot mustard yes yes okay have you ever tried like uh that smack dab mustard and i like it like it's i don't hate it mustard and i do like the smack dab stuff because it has a different 
it, you can get different flavors with it. I just am not a mustard person. I'm, I, I, like I've said when we talked about that spice segment a few weeks ago, I like the feeling that hot mustard brings right to the center of my forehead. Yeah, I so think it's know, got nothing to do with flavor. I had no idea that that was a thing, and I didn't know what to do with that. It was like, oh, this is so good, but it hurts so much. Ah, do I want to finish this sandwich? Yes, I do. It's, it, it's good. Uh, but then Sandy goes on to say, I disliked green peppers as a kid, but like them now. And I have never liked jello, not even as a kid. Food should not jiggle in my mouth. <laughs> what's, what's the hate about jello? I guess, the, I guess the texture is her problem. I, I don't like, uh, and this gets served at so many Christmas or holiday meals, the jello with weird things in it like vegetables oh. and stuff you know like why is why is a carrot in my jello that is confusing yeah that is just weird yeah those those big gelatin dishes never never understood that dj i like this uh dj hated purple and my older sister <laughs> my sister's room was painted purple seems i was only in there when i was in trouble and she Always gave me heck. Of course, I absolutely love my sister now since grade 12. I wouldn't have made it to my late 50s without her. But Aww. I still hate purple. Thanks, DJ. <laughs> DJ. I'm okay with that. Really? Well, he had to come around. He's, he, you know, he, he loves his sister, still hates purple. He picked the, he picked the best choice there. Okay. No, that's fair. That's fair. Although uh, purple is my favorite color. I just, oh. uh, yeah, I love purple. Uh, I have most of my golf shirts have some sort of purple in them. I once upon a time bought a purple suit, uh, just for a Joker con- costume. But then I realized, you know what? I actually look not too bad in this suit. So I have a purple sport jacket. Yeah. I have a problem with purple, apparently, Loren. No problem, as long as as long as you're not singing any Barney tunes along the way. Oh, that could be fun to to try to learn how to sing like Barney. Maybe I'll there. make a that'll be a homework assignment over the my vacation. There is something that people have hated for generations. Barney, of things that you you might have liked it as a kid, but you don't like it when you got to adult age. He's scary. He's freaky. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.